welcome to Prio's Peace in a Pod. My name is Indigo Trighauger, and I'm a communicator here at the Peace Research Institute, Oslo. My job is to help researchers convey their work. Usually that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders, and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. Today, Prio director Henrik Erdahl is releasing his updated 2020 Nobel shortlist. This is a list of candidates he thinks would be worthy of the prize. He shared his thoughts with me about why he picked the candidates he did, and what kind of themes he was hoping to highlight from the last year. We also got to talk a little bit about the prize criteria and what the significance of the prize is today. So thanks for joining me, Henrik. I'm really excited to hear about your list for this year, um, about the Nobel Peace Prize and the candidates that you think are worthy. Um, But before we get into the actual picks on your list, uh, maybe we can talk first about what your criteria are for picking them and uh, why you even do this short list every year. Sure. And thanks for having me, Indigo. Um, The whole purpose of the list that uh, that, uh, Prio director is... uh, announcing every year is to identify and promote candidates that uh, we think are worthy um, winners of the uh, uh, Peace Prize. And we're both promoting and identifying individuals and organizations that uh, we think uh, are making important contributions to uh, peace. And this can be, of course, under a lot of different headings and uh, and within different areas. Uh, what's important for PRIO is that uh, you know, our uh, view to this uh, is uh, one that is research-based, so that um, it should be based in knowledge about the concrete processes that we're uh, addressing, uh, and not only uh, necessarily pointing to uh, to the, uh, the the persons in charge, the uh, the prime ministers or presidents or other political leaders, but also to the social movements that are underpinning uh, change uh, in uh, in the areas. Um, and then uh, it's also meant to reflect the more general knowledge that we have uh, through the research that Prio is doing and that um, uh, others uh, studying uh, causes and dynamics of armed uh, conflict and peace, uh, how this knowledge is uh, translating into what we think are the important movements, the important uh, players uh, and the way that uh, that they contribute to a piece. So in the past, this list, and this is before your time as director, the list has been presented as a little bit uh, of a speculation that maybe one of the winners would be on the list. And there have been a few successes. You reframed it more as candidates that you think are worthy and themes that you would like to highlight. But you still had a few uh, people on your list that did end up winning so that was uh, Abiy Ahmed last year, mm. um, Nadia Murad, and Dennis McQuaig. Am I forgetting any other ones? No, that's right. And we also pointed to the Iran um, nuclear uh, agreement uh, three years ago in, in 2017 when ICANN was winning. So that was in the same domain. So so I, I, I would like to think that the committee has uh, has uh, come to their senses and, and started to... Uh, <laughs> 
to uh, you know realize that uh, that the candidates on the pre list are actually uh, the uh, you know the, the the worthy candidates. Uh, but as you say, <laughs> it's uh, the, the purpose is not to to try to second guess or to uh, to uh, you know provide food for for the bookies, but uh, but to say something about what we think are the important prices. And I'm very happy to see uh, the prices in the recent years that have uh, have uh, in my view gone to candidates uh, who've been uh, exceptionally important. Yeah, and I mean, much to the contrary, actually, the bookies, usually you disagree. Um, so maybe they should start paying a little more attention to your I, list. I certainly think so. Uh, <laughs> they, they have some some weird candidates on their lists uh, that uh, I think if you if you want to waste your money, you can easily uh, uh, spend a whole lot on candidates who uh, won't, uh, won't get the price. Yeah, maybe we'll touch a little bit on that later. But I was just wanted to clarify as well, you don't have any inside knowledge of what actually goes on with the Nobel Committee. Uh, you don't have any direct uh, conversations out all with them. This is purely your list of worthy candidates, in your opinion. That's absolutely right. We, I, uh, I have absolutely no insight into the processes of the Nobel Committee. They're usually quite watertight, and and uh, in most recent years, I mean, information hasn't really come out in the public domain prior to the uh, the announcement. So. Uh, I've been impressed by, with uh, with the way that they've handled that in in recent years, and and uh, a, again f- from my perspective, uh, the the purpose is not to try to uh, to guess who's getting the prize, but uh, but to say something about the worthiness. But uh, I also want to highlight that I, uh, even though I formally have the right to nominate candidates for the Nobel Peace Prize, because directors of Peace uh, research institutes uh, have the uh, the right to do so. I refrain from uh, nominating candidates because I'm also uh, ca- uh, not, um, commenting on uh, candidates every year. So I want to be completely independent of the actual nomination process. And we also don't we, we also don't know, of course, uh, uh, who all the uh, nominees are. The, uh, that's a secret for 50 years. We know that there are, uh, you know, above 300 um, nominations each year. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we hear about some of them from uh, from the media, but most of the candidates are not known in the public domain. So we are not uh, uh, on, on my list. Uh, there are um, the also names and organizations that we don't know for sure uh, have been nominated. So let's move on to uh, the actual picks and some of the themes. Um, maybe we should actually just uh, read out your list here. So you have the Committee to Protect Journalists, Allah Salah and the Forces for Freedom and Change, Alexei Navalny and the Anti-Corruption Foundation, Ilham Toti and Nathan Law Kunchung, and Haya Sharif and Ilwat Elman. So some of these are... are would be potentially shared prizes if they were actually awarded in this in this way. And you also mentioned a few others um, in the actual explanations of all the prizes. But maybe you want to talk about some of the themes. I know last year youth engagement was a pretty big theme. What are the themes this year that you've picked? Yes, yeah, so, so so that's right. We we try to identify different domains that we think uh, are important uh, for peace building. Um, uh, so the top um, the top priority this year. Um, is independent journalism, and that's why we're pointing to to the committee to protect journalism, uh, journalists. That that uh, that could also go to individual journalists, for instance, who work in in conflict areas. Um, the argument uh, for uh, giving the prize to journalism, because there has never been a journalism prize in the past, the argument uh, is twofold. Really, um, the first is is uh, is in a sense a um, a direct uh, aspect where 
um, we know that in conflict, it's said that that uh, that truth is the is the first victim of uh, of conflict. Uh, it's often hard to get um, uh, to get independent uh, verification of uh, what's uh, happened uh, in conflict zones, uh, which means that uh, journalists who work uh, then often uh, in the middle of uh, of a conflict uh, uh, are often the um, key sources to uh, independent reporting from uh, from the uh, uh, the the front of the conflict so uh, we uh, uh, and and it's important for uh, for actors for international actors for peace mediators um, to know uh, what the uh, what the status of these conflicts are so uh, the reporting that journalists are doing from uh, conflict theaters is uh, is important for uh, uh, simply for how we can try to address conflicts in order to uh, to uh, uh, mediate and to um, uh, de-escalate conflicts. But it's also uh, I think a journalism prize would also be important in a much broader sense. Uh, we are living now in a, a world where uh, fake news is becoming uh, a major challenge uh, for democratic societies. Uh, the um, uh, lack of uh, authoritative sources of knowledge and truth uh, are uh, becoming blurred. Uh, and that's where I think quality journalism uh, and independent reporting and verifiable facts uh, is uh, becoming absolutely essential uh, for uh, sustainable democratic governance so this is this is not only something that pertains to conflict theaters or to autocratic states but it's something that uh, to to a very uh, real uh, in a very real way um, affects the way that um, we are organizing our societies and our ability to uphold uh, very basic democratic um, uh, uh, procedures and, and practices in our own society. So uh, to me, uh, a journalism prize would speak to both of these dimensions and be uh, exceptionally uh, important. Yeah, we certainly have a symbiotic relationship with journalism at Prio. I know that some of our projects, of course, use reporting when we don't have access to other kinds of data. Uh, and we also very much appreciate when journalists use our research to, like you said, have actual verifiable research and facts um, to contribute to different discussions and reporting. Um, it looks also like you have included the uh, youth element again this year. Do you want to address that a little bit? Yeah, we, we uh, pointed uh, last year to two um two young uh, peace activists in, in particular, uh, Ilva Delman and Haji Sharif uh, from Somalia and, uh, and Libya, respectively. They're leading organizations there uh, who work on the ground with peace-building activities. We know that um, in many of the countries that are facing um, large-scale uh, violence, you have large youth populations and uh, uh, that represents both opportunities and, and challenges. Challenges in the extent that if 
uh, if societies are unable to provide opportunities for youth, uh, then they more b- may simply be become more easily recruitable uh, to uh, to uh, uh, violent organizations, whether that is political or criminal. But also, on the other hand, um, the the youth in these societies, uh, to, to 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 a great degree, hold the key to sustainable, uh, peaceful um, development. Uh, in the sense that uh, through um, increased education, increased labor force participation, uh, they can contribute very significantly to the economic and social and political development of uh, their uh, home country. So focusing on uh, youth peace-building activities, on youth engagement, is something that uh, that not only can hinder violence, but also contribute to uh, positive uh, economic, social, political growth. Uh, and uh, these two uh, young women have been working over many years uh, with peace-building activities in, in their home countries in a way that I think is uh, exceptionally important and deserves to get the attention uh, of a uh, Nobel Prize. And then um, uh, also the, the, the Sudanese uh, candidate that we point to, uh, and Sudan is is uh, uh, perhaps the single uh, most significant uh, peace process that we've seen over the last year. So Sudan in itself is uh, is an interesting uh, area and potentially uh, something that the Nobel Committee would like to uh, to um, emphasize with a with a price. Uh, we've seen uh, major developments in in the recent years since the civilian government. Um, took over uh, after the ousted uh, al-Bashir, uh, that there has been both political progress uh, and also uh, a peace agreement now uh, most recently um, uh, in, in late August with uh, several rebel organizations. So, uh, so Sudan uh, is on the right uh, track. Uh, what we have, uh, what was so uh, so significant about the Sudanese peace process was that it was one that was very much pushed from below. Uh, unlike the, uh, the the price to Ethiopia, where the changes happened within the political system, the Sudanese um, uh, the Sudanese transition towards democracy was one that was really indi- instigated from below. Uh, and uh, and Allah Salah. Uh, the uh, the uh, young woman who was uh, uh, spearheading uh, the many of the uh, um, uh, protests against the uh, the old regime um, has been one uh, who's uh, who's uh, gained um, an important position uh, in civil society uh, in uh, in Sudan, not as a politician but as a uh, as a representative uh, for uh, civil society. So <clears throat> she would be um, also in this category of young peace builders who, uh, who make uh, important contributions to, uh, to peace and to, uh, to human rights. And then we have pointed to a to sort of third thematic uh, area, uh, which is uh, more generally pro-democracy and, uh, and uh, human rights. Uh, and we have two potential Areas here uh, to two large countries that uh, that have both seen uh, serious backsliding uh, in uh, in the recent year. Uh, one is uh, is Russia, and 
Uh, we pointed earlier to Alexei Navalny as, uh, as a uh, potential uh, Nobel Prize uh, candidate. Since he was added to the pre list uh, early this year, uh, he's been poisoned, and, uh, and that just demonstrates that there are uh, anti-democratic um, uh, forces uh, in Russia that, uh, that very much oppose the, um, uh, the political changes that, uh, that Alexei Navalny uh, and others are representing. Um, we're also pointing to China, which uh, which has uh, um, on many fronts um, seen very serious um, challenges to uh, political participation uh, through uh, extensive repression of uh, of the Uyghurs in uh, in Xinjiang uh, province, and uh, one of the um, Leaders of uh, of the uh, opposition to the uh, the Chinese uh, brutality in uh, in that region uh, is Ilam Toti, who's uh, who's an academic. Um, so uh, giving a prize to Ilam Toti uh, could uh, could have been an important signal to send uh, to the Chinese government. Uh, similarly, uh, with um, uh, Nathan Law Kung. Uh, uh, Chung in Hong Kong, uh, who's been a pro-democracy uh, activist for a number of years, uh, this uh, uh, would be uh, a way to uh, to also react to the new national security law uh, that uh, Beijing has imposed uh, in Hong Kong. So, so these are uh, in a, in a sense conventional um, would be a conventional uh, uh, Nobel Prize to uh, to human rights defenders and uh, and pro-democracy uh, activists. At the same time, and we don't have to get too much into it, but um, Norway acknowledging the human rights abuses related to China is very tricky ground in a way. I mean, uh, in 2010, uh, Liu Xiaobo was awarded the prize, and that has notoriously affected the relationship between Norway and China. Um, so what, what do you think? Do you think they're ready for a second round of cold relations? <laughs> Well, what's important to to uh, uh, to be clear about is that, of course, the, the Norwegian uh, Nobel Committee is completely independent of the Norwegian government. So it's named by the Norwegian Parliament, the Storting, but uh, it has uh, uh, it has no ties to current government policies. So uh, the committee will hopefully feel. Um, that they're not uh, bound by uh, what is good for Norway or not, uh, but uh, rather focus on uh, what uh, importance such a price uh, could uh, could uh, could be, uh, and and the um, the signal uh, it would send to the world that uh, that a peace prize is given to uh, to a Chinese uh, pro democracy uh, human rights activist. I certainly think it would send a really strong and important message. Uh, are there any candidates that you think are surprising or will will be surprising to other people? Or do you have uh, maybe a, a favorite of your own on this list? Well, as I said, I mean, um, my my favorite, my, I think the, it at, at this time, the, it would be um, uh, it would be important to point to the area of, uh, of independent journalism. So so I um, uh, I would uh, very much hope that uh, that we see a prize in that area. Uh, I think it is. Uh, uh, we, it's. It, it would be a bit surprising if uh, uh, if we would see uh, a, a Chinese uh, candidate uh, this year. Uh, I think also it would be a bit surprising to see 
uh, a uh, for instance a US uh, candidate this year precisely because the uh, uh, there are political uh, ramifications there that are important and and uh, I think for instance the the committee would be careful not to be seen as meddling uh, into uh, into for instance US uh, election affairs so uh, so uh, uh, that being said um I uh, uh, I hope that uh, that the, the the primary um focus of the of the committee is going to be uh, on uh, on uh, what uh, price could potentially make uh, uh, be the most important and make the most uh, good uh, at this point so let's talk a little bit then about the people who are not going to win, either because they're not worthy of the prize or because they simply don't qualify. I know that you get asked in every single interview related to the Peace Prize about Donald Trump. So maybe we should just get out of the way. Um, he's not going to win. Why is that? In a few sentences. <laughs> no, the, the, uh, the, the chances that Donald Trump is going to win are absolutely zero. <laughs> Uh, the, the and that's uh, I would like to emphasize that's not because he's Don, Donald Trump. It's because he uh, he uh, he hasn't deserved it. Uh, it doesn't mean that he can't deserve it at a later stage. Uh, but uh, the uh, the uh, the two processes that he's been involved in uh, that are uh, you know portrayed as potentially significant uh, have not moved uh, significantly. The, the first is is uh, is on the Korean Peninsula, where Trump essentially m- walked out of uh, on the process, and and where that uh, has been left hanging. And the second process is the uh, is the normalization agreements between uh, United Arab Emirates and Israel and uh, Bahrain and uh, and Israel, uh, and those are important in their own right, and and it's a, it's a positive development that we're seeing increased development. Uh, on the uh, uh, in the Middle East, even though uh, these agreements don't address the uh, the or in an important way the uh, the uh, real issue uh, in the Middle East, which is the uh, the Israeli Palestinian uh, conflict, uh, and the agreements are not peace agreements. Uh, I mean, these are agreements between countries that have never been at war. So so uh, portraying them as peace agreements is uh, is overstating uh, overstating their significance, uh, but. On the other uh, hand, uh, Trump has withdrawn from a number of um, uh, disarmament uh, agreements. He's uh, he's, uh, withdrawn from the INF agreement. He uh, withdrew uh, this summer from Open Skies. He is pulled out of the Iran agreement, the JCPOA. Uh, He is now uh, potentially uh, also going to to pull out of the... um, uh, new start agreement. So uh, we have seen under the current uh, U.S. leadership a withdrawal from important disarmament uh, uh, instruments, uh, which I think is is counting very significantly in his uh, disfavor. And then you know there are other uh, others here. Aspects as well about Trump's presidency, including the way that he's uh, generally undermined uh, multilateral agreements, uh, such as the Paris Agreement uh, uh, and uh, and the WTO, and now uh, most recently the WHO, the World Health Organization. So I think uh, Trump needs to do uh, a lot of good uh, and do less uh, less bad uh, before he could actually get the peace prize. And it also doesn't help that today he said that he couldn't commit to a peaceful transfer of power if he loses the election. So, uh, you know, authoritarian dictatorship, the goals doesn't exactly bode well for a peace prize. 
<laughs> no, he's he's also been uh, polarizing on the uh, on the U.S. Uh, scene. So uh, so uh, I think he has a lot to prove uh, before he's uh, going to be considered a, a, an actual candidate. I think he is more likely to get the Nobel Prize in Literature for his tweets uh, than to get the Nobel Peace Prize. So we've covered the candidate who notoriously uh, is talked about this year, but will not win. But let's talk about some candidates who won't win, not because they're not worthy, but because they simply don't qualify. And here I'm thinking about Black Lives Matter and also um, the protests in Belarus. So maybe you want to explain a little bit about how the nomination process actually technically works, because you see bookies listing some of these candidates. And I just laugh because I hope no one puts their money on it before realizing that they couldn't win. Yeah, the way that the the uh, committee uh, has set up this their work uh, is that there is a nomination deadline on the thirty first of January each year, and according to to Nobel's will, uh, the prize should be given uh, to someone who's done the most uh, for peace in the preceding year. Uh, so uh, uh, the uh, names have to be in by the 31st of January and then the committee themselves can add names to the list until their first meeting and that typically happens in the first half sorry the second half of February each year which essentially means that that uh, you know major uh, events that happen after February uh, cannot possibly uh, play into uh, the uh, the uh, or produce new names uh, on the list of course there could be names that are already nominated uh, where uh, the committee is also considering events happening after the nomination deadline but they cannot add entirely new names to the list which actually also speaks uh, in in Trump's disfavor because he was nominated formally uh, in September uh, this year uh, which means that he is actually not a candidate for 2020 but he will be on the list for 2021 uh, but some of the uh, you, you you mentioned a couple of the uh, of the uh, of recent developments. Um, uh, the third is of course the uh, the pandemic COVID nineteen and and there are also speculations whether the, the World Health Organization could be a candidate. Um, technically, it's possible if the World Health Organization has been nominated prior to the deadline. But of course, most of the uh, of the developments, at least the attention, the global attention to COVID nineteen happened after the uh, the uh, nomination deadline. So, uh, I would uh, think that the WHO and and any uh, other COVID nineteen related candidate would be a more realistic candidate next year uh, than uh, than in twenty twenty. Uh, same thing with with uh, Black Lives Matter. You could uh, point to uh, organizations like ACLU, for instance, or the Southern uh, Poverty Law Center in the U.S. Um, it's uh, it's probably going to be difficult to. Uh, for the committee to award uh, the prize to any social movement that is not an organization. At least they haven't done so in the past, so it would have to be either an organization like the ACLU or individuals who have been uh, central in the movements. Uh, but again, um, the uh, the most recent protests uh, and, and also the global protests have been happened uh, you know, from May and onwards. So, so they were, in a sense, too late uh, for uh, for being considered uh, for the prize this year. And same with with Belarus uh, with the, with recent protests over the 
presidential elections, which happened uh, after the nomination deadline, uh, which means that uh, we're not likely to see a Belarus-related prize this year. Yeah, and it's also um, worth pointing out, just going back to Black Lives Matter, that uh, the Peace Prize cannot be awarded posthumously either, unless the person uh, dies between the announcement and the actual prize ceremony. So, for example, George Floyd could not uh, posthumously be given the prize uh, next year. That is correct. You cannot uh, not receive the prize posthumously. Are there any other candidates or yeah, movements, organizations this year that, that are on your radar for next year? Well, I, I certainly do think that, uh, that um, pro-democracy movements are uh, going to be high on the list uh, next year. I do think that depending, of course, on, on the developments in Belarus, um, this, would be, um, uh, this would be an area. I think that uh, the... I mean, with, with one of the worrying signs now being uh, democratic backsliding in, in a number of, uh, of countries and regions of the world, uh, that is likely to be uh, high on the uh, committee's agenda. So I would certainly look out for prices in that domain, but also broader uh, issues pertaining to inequality, discrimination, racism uh, are topics uh, that I think will loom, continue to loom large uh, on the global agenda, uh, which also means that, uh, that these are issues that, that the committee will likely uh, be, uh, be addressing. Is there anything that you want to add in closing? Any, anything you think people should know or be following? Well, I, I, uh, I'm, con- I'm often asked, you know, is, uh, is the, um, is the price still significant? Does it uh, does it matter who's getting the the Nobel Peace Prize? Uh, and I think that's an important uh, question because we can't take uh, for granted that uh, uh, that the price will continue to be what it's been up until now the uh, the most sig- most significant price in any area that you can get. It's it is the price that uh, that gets the most attention. Um, I, uh, I feel, I mean, with, with current developments, it's also, you know, you can easily, uh, become, uh, a little bit, uh, um, concerned about, uh, you know, the world moving in, in the wrong directions on, on, uh, on many, in many areas. Uh, I do think though that, that one of the most important aspects of the prize is precisely to demonstrate that there are so many movements, so many individuals working to improve the lives of their co-citizens all over the world, in all corners, in all countries, and that this is something that is uh, giving us a reason to believe uh, in humanity and believe in the possibility for peace. So uh, I'm quite uh, optimistic about, despite the fact that that many things are going in the wrong direction, that uh, the price will continue to be important in the sense uh, that it is demonstrating human agency and the possibility to make progress uh, in uh, within areas of human rights, of peace uh, and of progress. Thank you for that positive closing, Henrik. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for picking Prio's Peace in a Pod. If you want to learn more about the director's shortlist, you can visit prio.org slash about slash peace prize. This podcast is a production of the Peace Research Institute Oslo, Prio, located in Norway. For more information, visit prio.org. Editing, recording, and hosting by me, Indigo Trughauger. 
Music by Martin Renault.